If you've got your Bibles, would you open up to uh, John chapter six with me? John chapter six, verse 35 through 40. John 6, 35 through 40. Jesus said to them, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. This is the word of the Lord. It's always so great to see you on Tuesday night. Y'all are like the, the heroes. I mean, some of you were here like a lot last week. Some of you did extra credit. You went to other churches. You did a lot of church. And so I'm just so glad to see you on a Tuesday night, a beautiful Tuesday night too. Uh, we, we're gonna just pause on Matthew. Matthew's gonna kind of be our backbone of the, a lot of the rest of this year. I was talking to a guy earlier today who um, is a pastor up in Nashville and um, he's actually gonna come be a guest in a couple of weeks. And I was explaining you to him a little bit and he was like, oh, we just finished Matthew. We went through it for two years. And I was like, we're not. Um, and so, so, but he, he got it. He was like, yeah, so you just, you're pausing and you're doing other series in the middle. And I said, yeah. So the, the kind of the genesis of this series on the will of God is just, it, it goes back the last two and a half years for about as long as we've been here. Just lots of questions, lots of questions, lots of conversations from you um, and from just other folks in the church where I kind of thought, man, I, I, I would think like you, I was, I was kind of surprised at times some of the questions that we get asked. Now, I know that sounds off-putting and you're like, I'll never ask him anything again. Like I want, I want to have conversations, but I just thought we need to do some equipping. We need to we need to look at how to know and determine the will of God. And I think part of that is just simply an assumption on folks like me that you hear enough sermons and you'll figure out how to find the will of God. When I think we just need to pause and speak very plainly about what is this mysterious thing called the will of God and how do I find it? Is it like a bullseye and I can get right in the middle or I could be like maybe not in the 10 ring, but maybe I'll get like in the eight ring. Like what, how is, how does this thing work? Uh, and so that's why we gave out that Kevin DeYoung book to begin with. Um, that's a great book. Uh, I, I just, uh, I've just been going through it myself. It's a great book called Just Do Something. Uh, it's, it's basically his journey on the will of God and, uh, and helping his, he's got kids that are now in college, just preparing them and his church. Like, how do you know the will of God? So the goal, the goal, the ultimate goal in this series, and we're gonna do this for about four weeks, the ultimate goal is not better, is to not make better decisions. And um, the, the young adult lead team helped kind of craft this and it was really good. I thought the ultimate goal is not better decision making, but the ultimate goal is to be closer to Jesus through making better decisions. To know the will of God, we must know the word of God. And so as we, as we get started, I just want you to take a deep breath and realize we've all made bad decisions. We have all blown it. And so this is not one of those like surprise messages at the end where you're like, no, if you have ever made a bad decision, like, no, no, you have. And so have I. And we've probably each made at least one or two dozen today. Like we make bad decisions. And what, what we do when, uh, when we make a bad decision is oftentimes we, it, we step into sin. And isn't that what sin is in the first place? It's stepping outside of the will of God. I mean, you think about Adam and Eve, isn't that how it all started? Eve made a bad decision and she ate the fruit and then Adam followed suit and he made a bad decision and he ate the fruit. And that's, that's why kind of the, the overriding idea, the overriding text of, of this series is John five nineteen, where Jesus says, to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. 
So I'm calling this series, Nothing of My Own Accord. You think about it, can you imagine living a life where you did nothing outside of the will of God? Nothing of your own accord? That is the life that Jesus led, and that is part of, I mean, that is a, the reason, when we make bad decisions, our hope is not being able to make better decisions the rest of our lives and correct all those bad ones. Our hope is in the one who never made a bad decision. And so normally we resolve in the gospel when we have a sermon. By the way, that's like one of your litmus tests, if it was a good sermon or not. Do they resolve in the gospel? And this sermon lends itself to start in the gospel. We sing to the one. We celebrate the one who rose from the dead. We celebrate Jesus. We worship Jesus. We offer our lives to Jesus. He never made a bad choice. And he imputes that blamelessness upon us when we give our lives to him. And that's amazing. So thank you, Jesus, for getting it right, because we sure don't. Let's pray. Father, with the pressure off, knowing that we've all made bad decisions, we start this evening with a grateful heart, a heart of gratitude to you for sending your son, who never made a bad choice. All of his choices were in line with you, and all the directions that you gave him were to save us. And so, Lord, we're just amazed that he could live a life and never make a bad choice, but also that it was all because you so love the world. So, Father, forgive us for rebelling against you. Forgive us for sometimes willfully making choices that go against you, for accidentally making choices that go against you. Lord, would you make up the ground that we have lost in those bad choices, but may our hope not be in that, but may our hope be in Jesus who never made a bad choice. It is to him that we owe all. It's in Christ's name I pray, amen. So one, one person, this is more like, you remember Jason came on Valentine's Day and he did what he called a talk. He was like, sometimes you do sermons, now I'm gonna do a talk. This is like a little bit of a talky talk, not quite as much of a sermon. And that's because this is more of a theological message. And so when you look at theology, you're looking at a bunch of places in the Bible and you're pulling a big idea together and trying to make it clear. And my favorite way to preach is expository, where I take a passage and I break it down and I teach it to you. So I'm stepping a little bit outside of my normal lane. And, but at times, the, it, messages call for this. They call for a theological message. So if you're like, where's the passage that he's walking through? Don't worry, we're gonna have a lot of passages. But the idea here is big and it's found in many passages. Uh, and so just, just, I just wanted to say that up front. So uh, look, you would think with, with like more information, you would make better decisions. You would think about that. Like your grandparents, think about like how many choices they had of people they could marry. Now, pull out your phone, look at your apps. No, I'm just kidding. But like, think about how many choices of people you have that you could marry. And yet the age of getting married is delayed more and more and more. Think about like how much, how many, uh, I think there's like, I think if you went to the grocery store, if you went to Publix, there's a Publix like a quarter mile from the house. I want you to all come to the Cornhole Tournament. You can stop at that Publix if you want. If you don't want the Chick-fil-A's that we're having and you can go there and you can get you a pub sub. But, uh, but at that Publix, I think if you counted the barbecue sauces, I bet you would get at least 40 different kinds of barbecue sauce. Now, that's just barbecue sauce. Heaven forbid you had to count the top, how, the, how many cereals there were. Like, that would just be horrible, wouldn't it? Like, every, whoa, man, what a, what a terrible assignment. That's what happened. That's part of what hell will be like, counting all the different things at the grocery store that are the same. And then somebody will replace one, and you have to start over. Uh, and it's very hot. Um, and so... <laughs> But I mean, just, just so many choices, like so many choices, and it kind of creates this paralysis. Our friend Chris Ferguson, I've talked about him several times, he passed away last year. One of the, one of the most Christ-like men that I've ever met. Um, 
He's just near and dear to our heart. They moved here from Zimbabwe in the 80s, and I think, it, I think then it was called Rhodesia, um, but they moved here in the 80s. There was civil unrest, and he studied, um, he studied in North Carolina, and his wife, Norma, sent him to the grocery store one day. Now, this is the 80s. Sent him to the grocery store to get milk. He was gone for a long time, came back with nothing. She said, Chris, where's the milk? And he said, I gave up. I didn't, uh, there was, I, didn't know there was, I didn't know there was this many kinds of cows. Like, I had no idea what to do. He's like, because in Zimbabwe, they had milk. And you bought the milk. But here he was like, he was just overwhelmed. He literally, that's not like just a funny story. Like, he came back with nothing, and he was bewildered. He just sat down. He was like, I'm tired. So, so all these choices, you would think, with all these options, you, you would think you would make better choices. But we actually don't really make better choices with more options. And discerning the will of God fits into that. I mean, how many Bible apps you can have and programs you can have and books? And like every week we're throwing a new book at you. If you read all of them, you should stop. Like you should do, go, like take a walk. Uh, breathe a little bit. Like there's so much information out there. There's thousands and thousands of sermons on the will of God. Tons and tons of books. And so what I want to do is I want to condense this into just four. I want to make it just four simple things over the next few weeks. Tonight is how the Bible helps us determine the will of God. Next week is how the Holy Spirit helps us determine the will of God. In three weeks, we're going to talk about prayer and the will of God. And then in the fourth week, we're going to talk about Christian community and the will of God. And tonight, what we're going to look at is what is the Bible, how we use it to make decisions, and Jesus, our teacher. And so we just want to be as, as simple as we can be because I want to, I want to kind of limit some of the choices that we, that we have to choose from here, and I want us to just really hone in. So let's begin to look at what is the Bible in relationship to the will of God. Because it doesn't talk about schools, it doesn't talk about jobs, it doesn't talk about dating apps, and yet you have to make all these decisions. It doesn't talk about when you should buy your first house, or if you should rent one more time, or if your parents are right right now, or if they were right then and you missed it. Like, you have to make a bunch of decisions, and I think we're asking the question, does this book really work? Does it really help me? And so I want, us to, I want us to look at, as we look at this book, I want us to understand that when we say the will of God, now think about this. In fact, here's what I want you to do. I want you just to real quick, turn to the person next to you. And when you talk about God, I want you and his will, I want you just to try to define what you mean by the will of God. Let's see if, I bet this is gonna be difficult but yet we all talk about it. What is the will of God? Ready? I want you to just try to define it. I'll give you like 30 seconds. Go. All right. Let me, let me rein it back in. Here's, here's why it's really hard when you talk about what is the will of God. Like what exactly do you mean by that? Because the will of God is actually kind of defined in multiple areas. And so I want to give you three areas. The area, I want to give you the area of decree, the area of desire, and the area of direction. There's a lot of ways we could label this. For this series, this is what we're going to call it. God's will of decree, God's will of desire, God's will of direction. We're going to leave out, there's another main category that you'll see. It may be termed something else, but in general, you'll see a fourth category often called the permissive will of God. For the sake of not giving you too many choices of milk, we're going to leave it out. And so we, we're going to go, what, what is the, the, dec the decree, the will of God, decreed, the will of God, desire, the will of God, direction. And this is going to help us understand what is the Bible. And when I'm looking at the will of God, what am I looking at? So let's start with the first one. The, the will of decree, the, the decretive will of God is the sovereignty of God. It's what happens no matter what. If you are white, if you are black, if you are Asian, if you are Hispanic, you had no choice over that. God decreed it. If your IQ is 190, we're all a little mad at you, 
Um, but if your IQ is, is 160, if it's whatever, whatever it is, God decreed it. He picked your, par- your parents, he picked the year you were born, he picked the country you were born in. There are things that are happening that we have no control over. That is the decreative will of God. God is at work. He's always been at work. Um, Psalm 115.3 talks about how our God is in heaven and he does all that pleases him. Think about that. He's in heaven, he does all that pleases him. Ephesians 1.11 Say that all things go according to the counsel of his will. Colossians 1, 15 through 20, a great passage. It talks about how in Christ, everything was made, is held together, stays together, and it's for him. Whether, they, whether the things know it or not. Galatians 4, 4, talking about the time of Jesus' birth, it says in the fullness of time, God basically had gotten the world pregnantly ready for the birth of Christ, for him to come. The world didn't know it. So there's this decreative will of God that is happening. And we see that in the Bible. We see it over and over again. You want to see a decreative will of God? Read the Revelation. The Lord will come back and he will reign again and some will worship him and some will go into everlasting torment. There is a decreative will of God that is happening. So when we speak of what is God's will, we're not really asking what is the decreative will of God. But it's important to know what is the decreative will of God. The the next area, I'd call this the desired will of God. This is how God desires that we relate to him to each other and his world. And this is what's revealed in scripture. So the desire of God, the will of God that is the desirous part, we have that revealed to us over and over again in this book. That is where I think most of us need to camp out. So God reveals his will very clearly so often in this book. Micah 6, 8, I've shown you, O man, what is good. And what is good? To act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. Matthew 22, 36 through 40, the greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your mind, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. The second commandment is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And upon, among, upon these two things, all the law and the prophets hang. 2 Timothy 3, 16, the word of God is useful for teaching and correcting and reproving and training in righteousness. Uh, you go on and you look at Hebrews 1, 1 through 2, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, Romans 12, 1 and 2. In fact, I want to look real quick at the 1 Thessalonians passage. I don't have it up on the screen, but if you have your Bible, turn there real quick. People ask all the time, this is in that Kevin DeYoung book and other people use this too. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, people say, what is the will of God? There's a verse that says, this is the will of God. So just look at it. If you're like, what is the will of God? Just, this is your verse. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. So like some of you are like, I can leave now. Well, we got three songs to sing at the end, so don't leave yet. You don't want to miss that. You want to know the will of God for your life? That's it. The will of God is for you to know God more and more and more and look more and more and more like him. That's it. That's the whole thing in a nutshell. People spend like another two or 300 pages writing, but that's it. That's the will of God, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. Your sanctification. The will of God is that you would know him more and more and more. And the people that know you, the more you know him and the more they know you, the more they see Christ and not you. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. But unfortunately, we don't spend a ton of time on the the desired will of God. 
I mean, it can't get more clear than Psalm 119. Psalm 119, I'll read you the first few verses there. Nine through 16 um, says, how can a young man keep his way pure by guarding it according to your word? With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commands. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. There's like a whole theme in Psalm 119 that says, you wanna know the will of God. You wanna make good decisions, consume this book. I was talking with Will Kynes, um, a professor at Sanford, one of our like um, staff members who like lives not here, um, our only staff member who lives like not here. But Will, um, we were talking and I said, well, I think I'm gonna use Psalm 119. And he said, the whole chapter. And I said, 105. And he was like, yeah, yeah, the whole chapter. Use the whole thing. He said, Psalm 119 is, do you wanna know the will of God? Eat this book up. Do you want to make right decisions? Consume this book. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. But we skip all that. And this is the questions that I get. I don't get questions about what is the decreative will of God. I don't get questions on what is the, the desirous will of God. I don't get questions on those two things. I get questions on number three. And I get these questions all the time. Continue to text. If I don't reply, it's not because, it's just because I missed it. Um, but continue to text. But let's just, let's at least like hear this out. But here, so often, I get questions about the directional will of God. This is what I hear all the time, the directional will of God. It's the main one that we mean when we speak of the will of God. The directional will of God is what is God's special plan for my life. Let me tell you what, your life is just as special as everybody else's. We don't, that was like a jab a little bit. Like, you, like, I know you got participation trophies and stuff, and I'm sorry you did that. I'm sorry they gave those to you. Like, you're, but like, it's just, we're all just as special as each other. But we all think that God's got this like super special message just for me. And that maybe I'm like a little bit more important than this person or this person. And so I get those questions all the time. Thomas, can you tell me the secret will of God for my life? Now, that's not what is asked, but that's what is asked. I'm like, oh, I'm trying to find it for mine. And I'm not saying God doesn't do that. He, he does that. I mean, I put a few verses up. Like, um, go to, Paul, can you hit the next one? Is that right? Yes. The directional will of God. It's, it's God's unique will for my life. 2 Samuel 7, 1 through 17, that was a specific message for David. Acts 10, that's a specific message for Cornelius. Acts 16, that was a specific message for Paul. Paul wanted to go to Asia and the Holy Spirit stopped him. He said, I can't go to Asia. The Holy Spirit won't let me. That is not something that is the will of God for everyone's life. Acts 10, God is calling some people to go to a place that is uncomfortable for them for the spread of the gospel, and it is a very specific message. Uh, and so then uh, 2 Samuel, that's where David wants to build the temple for God, and Samuel says, go for it. And then Samuel speaks, the Lord speaks to Samuel and says, no, David is not supposed to build my temple. And so this is a very specific message. There are times that God has a very specific message for you. But look, you, you gotta learn to crawl before you can walk and walk before you can run. And if you skip over the, the if you skip over the desired will of God revealed in his word, expecting to get a special word from the Lord, you just missed it. Because you gotta be faithful in little before you can receive much. So let's back up and let's ask the basics. I wanna just show you this real quick. Look, here's, this is an old, an old diagram uh, from a, a, a Bible study called Experiencing God. But what we have here is we have God and he is, he is moving forward. This is, the, this, this is when God decrees. 
Like he's doing it, he's doing it, he is going. He has got a plan and he's going. It's, he is all the blue. You and I, we are the little orange person here. And so what God does is he, through his word, he shows us his desire, his revealed will of, hey, this is what I'm doing. I want you to join me so that you can know me, so that you can follow me. This is your sanctification. So he shows us that through the word. He shows us that through Christ, and he invites us. This is, it's his desire that we join him in this process. And sometimes along the way, every once in a while, we get some little directional cues But they're never outside of the decreed will of God or the revealed will of God that he desires all of us to know through his word here. And so this is just a basic little diagram, but God is always working and he's inviting us to join his work and he shows us his invitation in this book. And every once in a while in the process, we get some little special message, but we're always looking for the little special message that then we'll jump in and join his work. Then I'll stop that sin, I'll stop that thing. So we really need to focus on God's desired will as found in the scriptures, how he reveals himself to us, that he, what he desires of us. So what is the Bible? It's the revelation of who God is and thus how we are to relate to him. The Bible shows me how I ought to be in light of who God is and designed me to be. As the Bible, listen to this, as it reveals God, it undoes me into what I was meant to be, a child of God. The more I read this book, the more undone I become. And the more I see who God is, and the more I see who God is, the more convicted of sin I get in my life and the more I am seeking to shrug that sin off and walk with the Lord. And so I am becoming undone as God reveals himself to me and shows me his desired will for all of our lives. The Bible says of itself that it is living and active, Hebrews 4.12. In Matthew 4.4, we just looked at it about three weeks ago. Jesus was talking to Satan and he quoted an Old Testament verse and he said, man cannot live by bread alone, but every word that comes out of the mouth of God. The Bible shows us that in Genesis 1.27, he made male and he made female, he made them both in his image. The world has flipped that narrative and said that we are the image, or that God is made in our image and he would do well to serve us. But when we read the Bible, we say, no, no, no. I'm made in his image. And so it's my job to serve him. It undoes me. 2 Timothy 3.16, we looked at it just a minute ago, but it basically says that the Bible is good for every part of my life. Isaiah 40, verse eight, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. In a time of life when things change so quick, I mean, think about the world 10 years ago. Think about the world 13 years ago. Think about the world 14, 15 years ago. The world has changed so quick. Don't we need some sort of anchor that stands every changing tide. We need something that's timeless. John 1, 1 through 5, says that in the beginning, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He made all things. When we read this book, no matter where we pick it up, no matter where we open, we see Jesus. 
And that should be mind-boggling to you. And then when Jesus steps out of heaven, out of eternity, puts on flesh, and walks the earth, we see a living picture of the breathed word of God walking around. Now that, that's fascinating. So I think we've got to ask the question, okay, if the Bible reveals who God is, and as I understand who God is, it undoes me into what I was supposed to be the whole time. And in the process, I do make better choices, but the choices are to know God better, not just to make better choices. Then I think we have to ask, well, then how are we supposed to use this book? Um, do you remember, speaking of 13 years ago, do you remember 2010? Do you remember, uh, there was a great movie, The Book of Eli? Anybody? What a great movie. What a great movie. Okay, The Book of Eli. All the guys are like, oh, yeah. All the girls are like, eh, it's okay. Uh, no, maybe, maybe you loved it, girls. But like, all right, if I'm talking to you fellas, maybe now. Guys, it was a great movie. So The Book of Eli, Denzel Washington, and maybe one of his most like expressions you can't use in church scenes, like roles. Like he was just, he was that guy. He was awesome. Um, and so anyway, the book of Eli, you don't know what words I was going to say. And so the, the, the book of Eli is this great story, but it's got two main characters, right? Uh, not, not Mina, but like, but like two dudes. It's got Carnegie, who's the bad guy. And Carnegie like runs this little town and he runs this town and he finds out that Eli, Denzel Washington, has the book. And so he's like, he's like, I want the book. And he goes to these great links to get the book. Well, the book is obviously the Bible. And, uh, and so he, he's, it's post-apocalyptic. Most people can't read anymore. All the books have been burned. And so he's, he knows, like, he's got the book. It's the only copy of the Bible left in the world. Who would have thought that would have been, like, a, a high-selling movie? This is a movie about the Bible. And so, uh, and so he's got this, he knows, like, Denzel's got the book. And so he goes to try to find the book, and he, like, hunts Denzel down. And, uh, and he, his whole goal is to get the book, but why? Because he wants to use the book to benefit him. His whole goal is to use this book to benefit him. And folks, I have been Carnegie before. I have used this book to try to benefit me. But Denzel, Eli, he knows the book is bigger than him. He knows the world needs the book. And so with his dying breaths, I hope he had a bunch um, because that was a total spoiler alert. Sorry. You should still watch it. It's a great movie. <laughs> he might not have been dying. Plot twist. <laughs> it's, actually, it's actually a choose-your-own-adventure movie. <laughs> so, so Denzel, <laughs> Colin was like, don't do it. Uh, but he's, I think he was dying. But anyway, um, he's, you don't know, it ends. But with his dying breath, last breath, just tired breath, not sure, he begins to quote the whole Bible because he had memorized it and he knew the world needed this book. So in this, in this secular movie, there's still a real sense of like, that is kind of what it's for. It's bigger than me. It's not just for me. And so much of our faith, so much of our Christianity is just like my own personal little holiness slash how can I figure out how to hold my mouth just right and get on my knees just long enough or open my Bible just enough that I get the thing I want. It's not this cosmic puzzle where if you, you shake it around just right and hold it just right and do the things just right, out pops this gift from God. And you're like, ah, that was your will all along. You've just been holding it from me. It's not a game and it's not a guessing book. And so I, I think that maybe the best way to do this is actually to tell you eight simple ways on how to read your Bible wrong. So that's what I'm gonna do. Here's eight ways to read your Bible wrong. This is gonna help you know how, how to be like Carnegie and not like Eli. One, I want you to read you as the main character. When you open your Bible, you are David, all right? Unless you had a bad day, then you're Goliath, all right? But you are the main character. Read it like that. That'll, that will totally twist the purpose of it. 
Um, the second way to read the Bible wrong is to read God's goal for your life as your comfort. All right, every time you read, every time you pray, just ask God to bless you. And read the Bible like that. The whole goal is my comfort. Um, read whatever seems helpful in that moment. Just do not read the verse before or after it. Just that verse that you really like. Just read that one. Um, let other people read it to you. Just listen to sermons and podcasts. It's too complicated to figure out anyway. I went to school for this. So that's a great way to do it. Here's, um, Kevin's laughing, I like that. So here, here's a great illustration. Max Lucado said this, I've said it before, it's a great illustration, I'll use it again. He said, he said imagine uh, this buffet. You go to this buffet, and it's an incredible buffet. It's like super long, like super long buffet. And you, you walk in, and all the people are gathered at the far end of the buffet. And you're like, what is happening down there? And so you go, and you know, at the beginning of the buffet, you get your plate, and so you get your plate, and you begin to walk, because you know that must be where all the good stuff is, but as you're walking, you see like the sushi section, and it looks incredible. And then you see like the fillets, and you're like, whoa, they're not picking up this stuff. And then you see like the, I mean, it's like very first world. There's a vegan section. Uh, and so like, it's like Whole Foods meets hibachi. It's incredible. And so it's like this, there's barbecue, there's all this stuff. And so you're walking down, like Antico's there, you got them all. Superica's there. You're like, what is happening? But nobody's at these places. They're all at the end of the buffet. And you get down there and these people, you can hear the stuff hitting their plate. And it makes like a splashing noise. And you can see it kind of running over the sides. And it's like kind of like, it's like Thanksgiving colored food. It's all brown. And so you're like, what are they putting on? And as you get closer, you can smell it, and it doesn't smell great. And you realize as you get up to it, it is food people have chewed up and spit back out. That's how most people get their Bible. They just let folks like me chew it up and then give it back to you. So do that. Okay, <clears throat> now... I would also say, read the Bible a lot, but don't read a lot of the Bible. That's a great way to keep yourself safe. Uh, read the Bible a lot, but don't read a lot of the Bible. I would also say, view it as an instruction manual simply for making decisions that will benefit your life. I've had so many what I would call quiet times doing just that but this is how you don't do it. Okay, here we go. I would also mix up common phrases with the scriptures and be fine with it. Um, like, don't really research, does the Bible say that? Just assume that God does help those who help themselves, that God does work in mysterious ways, that money is the root of all evil, and that we are to love the sin and hate the sinner. Except switch that. Love the, love the sinner, hate the sin. So let me, <laughs> as a tip of the slung. All right, here we go. Let me just show you this real quick. This is what I mean, and this is what people do, and this is what I don't want you to do. Psalm 37, four. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Most people read that, and they think, if I delight myself in God, I'll go to Tuesday night, I'll go to Sunday morning, I'll be in a small group, then God's gonna give me what I want. And they're fine with it that way. But when you really read that verse and you read the whole passage, what you realize is that as you delight yourself in the Lord, he ambushes you and he changes your heart and he puts his desires in your heart. If you uh, heard Casey's testimony last Tuesday night, you heard that he changes your heart. Another one that is obviously very famous is Philippians 4.13, but let me just read you the whole thing in context. This is what I told you not to do a minute ago, but I'm going to read it to you anyway in context. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have received your, you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity to show it. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, because I've learned that I've learned that in whatever situation I am, I can be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. And in every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty. 
and hunger and abundance and need. I can do all these things through Christ who gives me strength. Yet it was kind of you to share in my troubles. That's not a we're down at six at halftime. That's when God and his decreative will turns the temperature up in your life and stays present with you for his glory in the moment. Obviously, Romans chapter 8. Romans 8, very famous verses. Uh, it says in Romans eight twenty eight, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. You see, when you love God, he will work all things to good as he conforms you to the image of his son. So that's how you do it wrong. But if you really want to do it right and you really want to know God, you take those eight things and you flip them upside down. And you read this book and you see it is not about me. This is God revealing himself to me. Let me read the whole Bible, even if I don't understand it. Let me read the whole thing and consume it. And let me know the story of God. Let me never read one verse. But let me read that verse and all the verses around it. Let me be like the Bereans that Paul encouraged as they would hear something and go back and examine the scriptures. Is that in there? Let me begin to ask questions on the basic revealed desirous will of God before I start asking questions on his special will for my life. And I promise you, you, you need this because I, I got your poll results that we did today, over 800 responses. And look, over 800 responses and 21% of you said, I, I make most of my decisions by the Holy Spirit, but, but I don't believe you. I don't think we're talking about the same Holy Spirit. I think we're talking about like your conscience or your feelings, because there's no way you're, by the way, I, I said this like on purpose. It, basically, I put feelings like four times in here, right? Instincts, it's kind of your feelings. Your feelings, I just called them feelings. Your friends, depends on how I feel, who I ask. Uh, and then the, the Holy Spirit, you're like, I feel like the Holy Spirit is leading me. If you put them together, 76% of the decision-making abilities registered on this poll with over 800 responses, 76% is me deciding my life. The first factor is me deciding my life. Now, do you think that the Lord's gonna give you some little special message when you're not even trying to do what he's told everybody to do? It's not Father, Son, Holy Bible. I know that. It's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. As God has revealed himself in this book, this should be our first order of business when I make a decision. What's the Bible say about it? Look, some of y'all wouldn't ask me questions about so-and-so's mad at me. What do you think? If you had just read Matthew 18... It's like very clear. Go deal with them. I mean, some of you would stop asking about like, when's God gonna let me get married? If you would read Romans 12, one and two. Therefore, my brothers, in view of God's mercy, I urge you, 
to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Then you'll be able to test and approve what the will of God is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Are you offering your bodies as a living sacrifice or are you doing something that you don't want anybody to know about in that room with that door locked? So stop asking about your dating life and what God's will is. His will is for you to get yourself sexually pure. We'll figure the other stuff out later. It's just so feeling driven. Look, there's, there was this old thing that crew used to do, um, and, and I'll just show it to you. They used to have this locomotive, and, uh, and the locomotive, this was on like their tract they would give you. And if you came to faith in Christ, on the last page, you would get to this, and you were like, what do I do now? And they would say, well, what's gonna happen is your life is like this train. There's a locomotive, and then there's a coal car, and then there's a caboose. And what your survey said is that you are driven by feeling and then by faith, that's your Holy Spirit thing that you put, and then by fact. So what this tells me is it's a fact you believe how you feel. And that's how you make so many of your decisions. I believe how I feel. Look, here's the old crew thing. They're like, look, this is just basic, good instructions. Let's go ahead and move that to the back. All right? Let's call this here. And let's put this here. This is what the Bible teaches us. It's a fact that we are sinful and separated from God. It is a fact that Jesus Christ loves us and comes to redeem us. And it takes faith to hitch up to that idea. And you know what? Let's let the feelings follow. Don't you want to be in charge of those anyway? They make miserable masters. They will lie to you as much as they will tell the truth, and they'll lie to you twice in a sentence, tell the truth to you once, and you won't know what's what, and then they'll change their mind on you. This is, this is a great picture of as I dig into this book, I get the facts and then my faith follows and that's how I respond to the facts. And you know what? Sometimes I feel like it and sometimes I don't. But the feelings will get in line. You know you can control them, right? You can master those. And this book will help you. So, look, we're... we're, we're we're, we're landing the plane here. As we see in passages like Romans 12, 1 and 2, that life isn't about me, and the Bible isn't about me, and my will is suspect is at best, but God's will is good and pleasing and perfect. So if I'm reading the Bible to know God, and adjusting my life to his revealed will and seeking things like sexual purity and trying to bring the kingdom of heaven on earth. I promise you, some of the little things you stress over, like super goop or Neutrogena, like which one do I get? Uh, do I go to, um, you know, do, do I go to MJQ or do I go to the game night? Like which, which one do I do? Me, it's always game night. You've seen me dance? Always game night. Like, which, which one do I pick? Like, all these things that you're like, do I flip a coin? Do I, how do I figure this out? Is there like a, like a Bible Ouija ball? Like, what do I do? Um, let's ask 10 different friends and see what the greatest thing, what, what the survey says. Like, look, all these things that we were like, what is God's will? If we just do the basic stuff that is revealed for all of us, that other stuff will, will come together. And that's what Kevin DeYoung spends 200 pages in that book saying, just do something. Do the basic instructions in this book. And it's amazing how many other things will come together. Now, obviously, we need the Holy Spirit. Obviously, we need the church to come together, and that's these next few weeks. But what I, what I want is so much for you to know the Jesus who who never stepped outside of the will of God.
because he covers all our mistakes. Every bad choice that you and I have made, every one we will make, he never stepped out of the plan of God. His good decision-making put him on a cross because that was the Father's decreed will so that you and I could have great hope when we know we've blown it over and over and over again. And so, as we close tonight, I read you this passage that was read at the very beginning where Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever thirsts believes in, or whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you, You've seen me, yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out, no matter how many bad decisions they make. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but I will raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, This is God's will for you. This is the will of the Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. I'm gonna pray, and we're gonna sing. I told you this was a little bit different, a little more of a talky-talk. What we're gonna do at the end, we're gonna have prayer teams back here. You would love for you to go and talk to them, pray with them, But at the end end, when we're all done, if you're like, I still have questions, I don't even know how to start in this book, I'm gonna have a little Bible 101 class for 10 minutes, I'm gonna put 10 minutes on my clock, and we're gonna meet right over here, and I'm just gonna walk you through, this is how you start this book. This is how you dig in. So please, come one, come all. Father, I thank you that you have revealed yourself to us in this book. Lord, we're so tired thinking of us. I'm so glad that this book is about you. I'm so glad that you're so much bigger than us and better than us and stronger than us, and yet you love us. Lord, would you forgive us for wanting all these little prizes from you without first knowing you, without first following you in the basic ways? Lord, did you forgive us for putting feelings ahead of fact and faith? Lord, would you give us courage to raise our hands and say, I've made so many mistakes. And Lord, would you, with the quiet, strong, unshakable voice of your love, tell us that you know and you love us anyway. It's in Jesus' name we pray, Father. Amen.